Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, an opportunity to join together, to sing to you, to worship you with our lives. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you have your way this morning? Lord, that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to our hearts. Illuminate your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, family, you can go ahead and have a seat this morning. Welcome to uh, Grace Spring. We're so excited you're here this morning. My name is Kenneth Price. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have an opportunity this morning to uh, continue uh, this journey that we've been on for uh, since January. Uh, we're now in a portion of the journey called Engage in Mission, and this is all about the formation of the church. Last week, uh, we, were, we were in Acts. Pastor Brian brought us through um, the, the kind of purpose of the church, why the church was created, how the church is, is the most powerful force on this earth when it's living in health, and um, how the Holy Spirit moves through the church. And this week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to step forward in our gospel calling. And I'm really excited to, to open up God's Word with us this morning and, and to really dive into what that means. I was in St. Louis uh, on vacation uh, last week. We had an opportunity to uh, take our little girl, she's three, uh, to the City Museum. Have any, has anybody been to the City Museum in St. Louis? Holy smokes, that place was unbelievable. And I was thinking about this, uh, and I'm going to show you some pictures here in a minute, but I was thinking about this, that, that many times in our lives, um, we, we get so accustomed to the normal things. I was thinking that I live a pretty simple life. It's not very often that I am astonished by something. It's not very often that I look at something and just think like, oh, wow, like that is amazing. Let me tell you about this place if you haven't been there. If you've been there, like you're going to be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. This place um, it, it's a 10-story building. It used to be a shoe factory. And this guy caught a vision. I can't pronounce his name. I, I looked it up, and I, I was so astonished by this. I spent like an hour on Wikipedia afterwards. I was like, man, I need to know all about this. This guy, he, he turned this old shoe factory into just kind of this modern museum for kids. And, and you get this idea, I guess not for kids, for adults too. We were having the time of our lives. You get this idea that like they just, they just had no concept of like the sky's uh, of, of like the sky's even the limit. They were like, man, what can we build? What can we add on to this thing? Like, how can we make this even better? When you drive up to this place, you look at the, at the roof of this 10-story building and there's a school bus hanging over it. They've got airplanes that they have repurposed and rebar coming off of it. That you can climb through these tunnels into the cockpits of these airplanes. I mean, it, it was just bonkers even driving up to it. And then you walk through the door and you start walking through. They've got a, a life-size replica of a great white whale that kids can crawl through and slide down. They've got tunnels that make any of, uh, McDonald's doesn't do it anymore, but any of the old McDonald's play places look like child's play. And then you start working through these structures. It's rebar and it's wood and you can climb up three stories and you can, you can climb into anything. You can slide off of anything. We were walking through the hallways and kids are just jumping out of the walls, like running in front of, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And I just walked through this place just like, wow. 
wow. And I had like this encounter with God in the middle of this museum that's this, this very secular place because I was just like the imagination that went into building this place. Here's some pictures that I took while we were there. The one on the left, it's a 10-story slide that goes all the way from the top of the building all the way down. It just spirals down. They have these caves that you can walk through, and there, there's like cliff openings everywhere that you can walk through these caves. Um, this was like the middle picture was from, from the third story, and it just looks all the way down. They've got these rebar tunnels you can crawl through. Um, the third picture is outside, just the, like leading up to the airplane, people climbing up through there. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. And I was just in utter astonishment. I got to thinking to myself, if I became so astonished by something that man made with his hands, if I was so astonished by, by the vision and, and the excitement that a man built so that people could have fun, when was the last time that I've been so astonished by what God does in my life every single day? And this was, I mean, it, it drew something out of me as, as we were walking through this place and I was reflecting on it later. And thankfully on the drive home, I, I don't know if you can say thankfully, but my wife slept, the kids slept, and I'm just driving and just had time to think. And if I'm honest, like not in a guilt way, but kind of in a lament, I, I was just like, oh, Lord, forgive me for being so astonished by something built with hands and not astonished by the gifts that you give me every single day. So this morning, what I want to talk about uh, and what we want to open up to is God's gift to us through the gospel and how we respond to that. And what I hope that we'll see this morning is an opportunity to walk in the fluency of the gospel, but to also walk in the astonishment of the gospel. And if I can invite you into an experience this morning, it's to look at the gospel with new eyes. And so before we even get into the text, I, I want to stop and pray just momentarily that the Lord will open our hearts, that he'll, he'll open the eyes of our heart so that, that we see him in a more astonished way this morning. That will bleed into the way that we live. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, will you forgive us for the ways that we have cheapened your grace? Will you forgive us for the ways that, that we have looked upon the gospel and not been in utter awe of the amazing gift that you've given us? Heavenly Father, would you forgive us for the times that, that we have taken you for granted? And Lord, I pray this morning with repentant hearts that you would open our eyes to the true beauty of the gospel. Lord, that we would be astonished, we would be amazed, that, that our hope in you would be renewed this morning, and, and that your Holy Spirit would, would provide us with tools to walk that out and to, to lead with that into our very lives. Because you are holy, and Lord, we, we pledge that we want to be holy like you are holy. So Lord, help us to embrace our gospel calling this morning, the gospel calling to us, and then the calling that it gives us to walk this out in our lives. Lord, we give this to you. We ask for gospel astonishment this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bible or you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you or you're using your phone, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up. We're going to be uh, spending a little time in Romans 15, 14 through 21. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1129. And uh, while you're turning there, I, I just want to kind of frame this for us. Romans... I think it is one of the most um, powerful books in, in all of the Bible. And I, I know like, it, it's hard to say that because the Bible is powerful, but, but I look at Romans, and every time I read Romans through, 
You just get this systematic theology for, for how Paul approaches ministry. He's, he's writing to the church in Rome, and, and he's explaining to them how to continue to live out their faith. He's telling them, man, I'd, I'd love to come visit you, but I'm hearing amazing things about what God is doing in your presence. And, and this is a church that's living in the Roman Empire under the oppression of the Roman government. And, and what Paul is writing to them is, is like, keep the faith. Don't you remember that the, the salvation of the Lord, it's a gift. And I feel like if we're being honest, where we are in the world right now, the, the Romans is kind of this clarion call for us to remember as the body of Christ that, that though we walk through difficult things, that though we're seeing things all around us, that, that God wants to focus us on who he is and what he wants in our lives. And so where we pick up here is, is at the end of this letter. Paul has written out this entire, uh, basically, doctrinal statement reminding people that, that they used to live by the law, but when there's salvation, that, that they live by the grace of God, that it's a free gift. And we're going we're gonna to walk back through some of these statements that he made throughout Romans. But, but he's writing to the Roman church here, and, and I'm so encouraged by what he wrote. And I want to read this over you as a church, as Grace Spring Bible Church as well. This is what he says in 14, Romans 15, 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, that you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace uh, given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And so, I mean, what we got so far is he's saying like, man, as a church, you guys are nailing it. You're instructing each other. You're coming around each other. You're pouring into each other. And I've written boldly just to remind you of a few points of interest here. And that's what I want to do this morning for us to, to re-inject our heart with some of these points of interest, the bold writing of Paul to the Romans. But I want to encourage you as Grace Spring Church, man, I love seeing you be the body of Christ. I love that you're instructing one another, uh, one another, that you're coming alongside one another, that when there's a need, that you guys are the first one to, ones to pour out. We had a, a neighbor whose, whose dad passed away suddenly. And can I tell you, with one phone call, the people of our church covered the entire dinner for this family. It was just, just miraculous to see how the body of Christ worked, just one phone call. That's what you're doing. And the way that you encourage each other, the way you walk alongside of one another in your groups, in men's ministry, in women's ministry, I want to encourage you. God sees what you're doing. You're full of goodness and filled with all of the knowledge and able to instruct one another. This is how he continues. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have no reason to be proud of my work for God. That's a, that's a heavy sentence. He holds nothing to be proud of. It's all through the work of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to uh, Il... Il <laughs> I practice this word too. <laughs> Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I made it my ambition to preach the gospel. 
Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so what we've got here from Paul, he's wrapping up this letter and he's letting the Romans know like, man, I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. And I want you to understand that I don't boast of anything other than what Christ has done through me. And he's basically telling that he follows up there and says, I long to come and be with you, but I don't want to build on anybody else's work. You guys are doing amazing things. I just want to, I want to encourage you and point you forward to continue to work towards what God is doing in the lives of the people around you. And Paul is saying his chief means here is to go and preach to people who haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my question in the life of the believers, I've got kind of a twofold purpose here this morning that I want us to look at is number one, I want us to deeply understand the gospel in and of ourselves. And then I want to challenge us to continue to, to take Paul's example and to walk out in the world around you and proclaim the gospel to people that won't hear it if you don't open your mouth. So what's that look like? Well, first and foremost, we need to understand the gospel to our depths, to our core, to understand fully what it means to walk in the freeness and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he's presented to us. I was with a group of people not too long ago, and I asked them, could, could you define the gospel for me? There's a group of, of people who have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And it was amazing and, and no guilt on that, but I, I just think that the way that we've done church sometimes has not empowered us to be able to speak those things. Not a one of them could, could utter what the gospel is. Well, it's the good news. The good news of what? Of Jesus. Well, that's true, but it, it's partially true. So what I want to walk us through this morning before we kind of get into our call is I want to I remind us about what the gospel is in our lives. So Paul starts out this letter to the Romans, and, and this is kind of the thesis of this letter to the Romans. He says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. For faith, or from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is, this is the thesis. This is what theologians look at Romans and say, this is the thesis of his entire letter. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of salvation. You understand that, that the word gospel in and of itself, it means good news. But the good news in and of itself is for salvation. For it shows us how to live righteous lives. So we're going to unpack that a little bit, and we're going, to, we're going to kind of dive throughout Romans a little bit throughout our time together, but I just want to kind of unpack some thoughts about what the gospel means. So for a lot of us, as, as we're looking at our lives and we're trying to figure out um, our meaning of life, we, we kind of ask some questions. And these are questions that I, I have pulled and kind of adapted from, from different um, theologians, different philosophers who are trying to understand the meaning of life. And so we're kind of uh, faced with four questions. Number one, who made us and to whom are we accountable? As people, think generally, as people, who made us? People have been trying to answer that question for, for as long as there's been an earth. Who made us and, and what am I really accountable to? Number two, what is our problem? 
because we got to have a problem. Number three, what is God's solution to our problem? And I would say a lot of philosophers leave out the God part of that question. What is the solution to our problem? And four, how can I be included in the solution? As good human beings, as people who are um, trying to make an impact on the world, we might ask these questions. Who made us? And to whom are we accountable? And I would say that, that the, the, the results to these questions kind of vary by the way that you look at the world. There's some prevailing philosophies that are very present in the world around us. And I would say that some of us even ascribe to some of these philosophies from time to time. We'd be like, oh, no, that's, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. But if, if we examine the way that we live our lives, it's kind of like, oh, that's like some, some underlying stuff there that I'm actually kind of ascribing to these philosophies. One of those is individualism. You know, if you ask the individualist who made us and whom are we accountable, nobody made us. Not accountable to anybody except for myself. I'm just going to live the best life that I can. What's the problem? There's no problem, man. People are treating each other poorly because they don't have a good understanding of their selves. What's the solution to our problem? Live a good life. Brian spoke a few weeks ago about this moral therapeutic deism. Live the best life you can. Don't do no harm. You know, don't do harm to anybody and, and just kind of skate by and you're going to make it. It's going to be great. How can I be included in the solution? I'm going to live the best life I can. I'm not going to worry about justice or injustice. I'm not going to worry about anything that's going on around me. I'm just going to treat everyone right. I'm not even going to step on a bug. Seems like a good deal, right? Or we're forgetting something totally. And, and, and here's what I want us to realize is sometimes as Christians, we can slip into individualism really easily. Well, I can't preach the gospel to that person because what if I offend them? What if they think differently of me? I'm just going to kind of do my own thing in my own corner. I'm going to go to this Bible study, do the best I can, live a good life, and then I'll, I'll probably get there one day. How often do we slip into that? Like, oh, individualism, that's, that's not a good philosophy for life, but we're doing it behind closed doors every day. What about this one? This is, this is another one, consumerism. Who made us and, and to whom are we accountable? Well, I don't know who made us, but man, the pursuit of stuff sounds awesome. Buy more, invest more, so that you'll have the life that you want. All those resources, they're not really God's. I'm supposed to enjoy this life before I die. Maybe leave a good inheritance for my kids. What about this philosophy? Relativism. That's a, that's a $10 word. I'm going to read you a definition. Relativism is the belief that knowledge, truth, and morality exist only in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and there are no absolutes. Everything's relative. If we live in a culture of relativism, then whatever is happening in our culture context, there's no absolute around it, but, but the way that I live my life is only related to the issues that I'm seeing. I can choose Jesus one day, and I can, I can choose something else the next. It's all about the context that I'm living in. And how often do we put our hope in these systems of living where we were kind of relative with Jesus. It's like we come to church on a Sunday morning and it's, it's awesome and we'll slide into that system all day long because it feels good. 
And we go about our lives, and, and it's like, oh, but I heard this on, on the news, and I saw this on my Facebook feed. And yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that. And, and we don't examine those things against each other. What I'm hoping for is that, that we come to the conclusion of this. Here's some answers to those questions. We are accountable to God. God made us as believers in Christ. We're, we're not on a relative scale. We're not consuming. We're not individualists. We're accountable to God. This whole story is not about me. One of the, the philosophies I didn't mention, but that I, I mean, I think is interesting is, is objectivism, and, and that is that, that we're the heroes of our own story. I'm not the hero of my story. I'm just put in the place that Jesus Christ has put me to do the work that he's asked me to do. Number two, our problem, problem is our sin against him. If God created us and we're accountable to him, you look through the narrative of scripture and and there was the fall of Adam and and sin entered the world and we have inherited that sinful nature and our, our problem is that we sin against him. Whether we mean to or not, and I'd say that, you know, we kind of get to a point in our lives sometimes where we, we might not even mean to, but it's just so ingrained in us. And we do something a few times and it becomes a habit. Our habits help develop our character. Our character becomes who we are. It's a long, slippery slope towards sin. Number three, God's solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. The thing that saves us from our sin, we truly believe that God created us and we're accountable to him. And our problem is that, that we live in life of sin and rebellion against him. His solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Jesus came to this earth fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died a death on the cross that we deserve so that we could have the life that the Father has planned for us. How do we solve this? How do we join in the solution? We come to be included in that salvation by our faith and our repentance. We join in with the work that Jesus is already doing. I can't add anything to the gospel. If I did, it wouldn't be the gospel anymore. But I can join in with what Jesus is doing and and hear that call and, and jump in with that And so I've got a few more just kind of simple aspects of the gospel that I want us to understand before we kind of jump in further into the work that that Paul is talking about. And so this is some language that we've used fairly often at Grace Spring. If you look in the Bible at what the Bible describes as the gospel, this is what it is. Number one, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he declared his public ministry. He says that the kingdom of God is here. And he told his followers to repent and believe in the gospel and to follow him. Those are our three responses. Then later on, Jesus, when, when he was talking to his disciples, and uh, 1 Corinthians kind of sums it up, but a little bit later on, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, this is what the gospel is, that the, the Son of Man uh, is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the King, that he will be handed over to die for the sins of man, and that he will be raised again from the dead. These are, these are some simple ways to just summarize the gospel for people. God's kingdom is here. Jesus is the Christ. He is the hope. He died for our sins. He, he raised again from the dead. And our response to that is to repent, to believe, and to follow. And I really love 
how Tim Keller kind of sums this up for us. The gospel is the good news that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation in and through the work of the life-giving Jesus on our behalf. When we surrender to Jesus' rule, his kingdom power comes upon us and his spirit restores us to family and works through us to bless all of creation. I want us to sit in that for just a second. That's a lot of words. Let's think about the truth of, of these statements. The gospel is the good news that God himself, our perfect and holy God, has come to rescue and renew all creation in and through the work of the life-giving Jesus on our behalf. When we surrender to Jesus' rule, his kingdom power comes upon us, his spirit restores us to family, and works through us to bless all creation. What a beautiful truth and a beautiful promise. This is the gospel. It's God's gift of grace to the undeserving. Can we think for a second, when was the last time that we really like weighed our sin the things that we're still holding on to, the anxieties that, that come upon our life, the depression and the brokenness and, and, and the things around us. And, and we embraced the gospel and, and, and followed Christ in the midst of those things. When was the last time we were astonished by what Christ has done? Are we so content to sit in our brokenness? To live a life that looks like the life of the people around us? When was the last time that somebody was astonished by your presence? Because it brought the gospel in, into real life in front of them. Now, I know this is kind of a, like a heady paragraph here, right? But like, do you feel the weight of that? That in my brokenness, in my sin, and all of the junk that is swirling around inside of me, that Jesus looked through time and he said that, that you are worthy of me dying on the cross so that you don't have to walk in those things anymore. Do we feel that? Or are we content? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Here's what I want us to realize. The gospel illuminates three different things here, and one of those is God's character. In Romans 8, as, as Paul is leading up to this beautiful um, uh, message that he's giving to, to the believers as he's winding things down, in Romans 8, he explains God's character to people. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. 
For, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I, I think what's beautiful here is it, it talks about the power of God. It talks about the righteousness of God. If we look at Romans 8 here, it, it talks about how the perfect and holy and righteous God who created everything sent his son into the brokenness to, to not succumb to the brokenness, but to live a perfect life, giving us an example of what it means to be transformed by the gospel, to join into his kingdom, and, and to walk in a new life, because God is righteousness. He's our father. He is holy. He is perfect. He created everything around us for his enjoyment. God's character is that he is fully gracious and fully mercy, uh, merciful and fully just at the same time. His character is that he is the infinite God who created the heavens and the earth, who, who shows his perfections to us in the way that he loves us without measure, in the way that, that he sent his holy and perfect son to, to live this life, to, to show us the example. This is the character of God. that we can't even begin to express. The gospel illuminates the character of God because we realize that while we were still sinners, God in his perfection did this for us to separate us from the flesh and to live a life worthy of the calling that we receive. The second thing that the, the gospel illuminates for us is our identity. Our identity in him and before him. Before Christ, I was a wreck. Before Christ, my sin swallowed me up. And, and sometimes in Christ, my sin still swallows me up. And, and sometimes in Christ, I'm still a wreck. But the beauty is that my identity is rooted in who he is and not what I've done. The beauty is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, that my identity is no longer locked up in the junk of my life, but, but it's locked up in what he has done and how he has given me freedom. So when that anxiety starts to come in, when the brokenness starts to come in, and when I start to feel those things, I have to remind myself of my identity in Christ. I think the problem is so many times we've built our identity on other things. In Romans 15 that we just read a few minutes ago, Paul, he, he wrote a similar statement that he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And he says that, that, that he has not put his identity in anything else except for the gospel going forward. And can we say that about ourselves? Like I look at my identity. If somebody asks you, like, what are five things about you? How quickly is, like, the gospel going to come out? Or do we say, like, yeah. I mean, if somebody asks me five things about me, go. Well, I have a really cool wife. I have two cool kids. I'm a pastor at a church. I like coffee. I like to read. <laughs> Where's the gospel in that, you know? How many of us, if, if somebody said five things about you fast, we, we identify our relationships with earthly people. We might uh, even throw in there our political identity. We might even throw in our hobbies and our interests. But where is Christ? Christ. I'm so intrigued by the words of Paul here and in 1 Corinthians. I've, I've decided to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. 
I've decided to know nothing in my identity except for Christ and him crucified. The gospel illuminates our identity in a way that Christ and him crucified is what's living on the forefront. A cruciform life of me on the cross dying to my sins, dying to my affiliations, dying to my preferences, dying to the things in this world that seem so important that I'm grasping at. But in the new heavens and the new earth, those things won't exist, but we will have Christ in front of us in fullness. You realize like right now is practice for life that will live forever. We get so wrapped around the axle about the political stuff that's happening in our world. You realize that, that in our future life, that stuff will not matter. There's not going to be political parties. There's going to be a lamb on the throne. And we think that we need to, to defend Christ to the world around us. Christ can defend himself. We think that, that we need to stand for our freedoms, that we need to, to fight for things because that's our identity. My identity is in Christ and him crucified. And the last time I checked, he said that if you, wanna, uh, if you want to follow him, you have to lose your life. My freedom is wrapped up in chains. It's wrapped up in a cross with nails. Man. If I'm identified with anything other than Christ and him crucified, I'm doing it wrong. And I'm guilty of that. I'm so guilty of that. How often do I want to pipe up and add my voice to the conversation instead of Christ and him crucified? How often am I so much more worried about the state of my nation or the state of the things that are happening around me? that I forget that Christ is on the throne and he's got it figured out and that my voice is to be used to, to rescue people out of the fire of hell that they're heading towards. But maybe I'm just pushing them away with the way that I'm babbling. Christ and him crucified. My identity, this is what Paul writes in, in Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It says it right here. You understand? Like, if, if you're mad at me for saying some of the, the things I just said, great. I don't like me either. I want me crucified. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I don't want to be conformed to any of the patterns of the world anymore because what happens when I'm, uh, when I'm conformed to the patterns of the world, I am taking the example of Christ that's living inside of me. I'm presenting a broken image to the world around me. My identity, it doesn't look like it all the time. My identity needs to be rooted in Christ and him crucified. If it's anything else, even good things, I'm misrepresenting the image of Christ to the world around me. Somebody asked you who you are. I'm a Christ follower. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. The good news of the gospel I used to look like this, but man, my identity is in Christ. And, and you know what that looks like? You know what the gospel transforms us into? This is like a litmus test for us. How are you doing in this? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
Check out some of these words that Paul throws here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How you doing? Does your identity look like that? Or are we anxious and angry, taking credit for ourselves, throwing our sinful desires out into the world around us, and hoping that that will catch people for Christ? The third part that this illuminates for us is how we join God on his mission. As Paul begins to to wrap up the letter right before where we found ourselves in Romans 15, he says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What's my mission on this earth? When Jesus left, he left his disciples with with a simple and, and singular message, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Jesus promised that he would be with them even to the end of the age. Our gospel calling is to understand the deep impact of the gospel in our lives that I was a slave and now I'm free, that I was broken and now I'm whole, that I was hopeless, that he's given me hope, that in the everyday anxieties that he offers me the ability to transform my mind. That's the gospel, folks, that Jesus Christ, (coughs) the one and only perfect one, gave me new life that he empowers me to live a life in the spirit and that I'm transformed by the way that I walk with him. What's my gospel calling? To know that deeply, to dwell in that, to let that sweep over me in the way that I live my life day in and day out and then to explode that into the world around me. That when I walk into any interaction with somebody that they see the gospel. I think one of the the most overused and um, frustrating quotes I've ever heard is preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. How about preach the gospel always out of the abundance of your identity and use words a lot. That's how we make disciples. We walk in relationship with others. We show them the hope of the gospel. We show them who we were and who we are now. We can't do that unless we're transformed. 
our deepest part by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to leave us with one final step of how to do this. I think sometimes we look at this passage and we kind of think like, man, this is a beautiful thing to teach our kids. But I want us to think through this in Galatians 5. If you want to turn there, you can. But if you just want to listen, I would encourage you to do that. How do we do this? How do we step forward in our gospel calling? It says it right here. I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. We can't do it in our own flesh. We're being formed by the Spirit of God. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcerer, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these uh, remind us like yeah there's sexual impurity on here and like drunkenness but there's also division and strife envy fits of anger jealousy Paul says that these are, are surefire ways that you're walking in the flesh instead of the spirit brothers and sisters let it not be so among us let's put first things first the gospel of Jesus Christ and look past our divisions and our anger. Let's not hold anything against one another. And then he continues on. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such th things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not gospel living. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that sound like the kind of person you want to be? Me too. Against such things, there is no law. <laughs> it's almost like he's saying here, live those things in abundance. No one's going to arrest you if you love people well. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, he reminds us again here, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. How do I live out my calling in this life? I would say that we've got to let the deep transformative work of the gospel into the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts and the nagging everyday strife that we feel in our minds. We've got to invite the gospel to probe our hearts. And Paul wrote it two times there, stay in step with the Holy Spirit.
if I'm moving 90 miles to nothing, I can't hear the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you walk. You're not chasing him down the field. He's walking right beside you. And then be prepared to give an answer to the world around you about why your life looks so differently. Your calling in this life is to be transformed by the gospel and then to present that transforming work of the gospel to the world around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, would you astonish our hearts with your grace and your mercy again? That even in our most brokenness, that, that you could look at us with a tender heart and tender mercy and call us loved. Wrap your arms around us. And Lord, not only that, but that your mercies are new every single morning. That, that, that day by day by day, that you pour out new mercies into the life of your children. Because it's what you desire to do. It's what you delight to do, Heavenly Father. So for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, would you re-astonish our hearts with the purity of your gospel? Would you reawaken our hearts to the fact that, that grace is not cheap? It's a miracle every single day in the hearts of somebody that follows you. And Lord, would you root our identity in you? Not the secondary, not the tertiary, Lord, but the, the singular truth that our life is to be cruciform, formed in the shape of the cross. Lord, if we love our life, we'll lose it. If we lose our life, we find you. So help me to get rid of my rights, my privileges, my freedoms. Not that those are bad things, but you are the main thing. And I will follow that all the days of my life. Help me to keep in step with your spirit and to explode into the world around me with your gospel goodness. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.